0: Exodus chapter 3. As we go to the word of the Lord this morning, to look at another case of divine encounter. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but our God is a personal God. He wants us to know Him personally, and He wants to know us today we have the account of a personal encounter with God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and, to the, and came to Oreb, the mountain of, the, of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So the Lord, so Moses said, I am turned aside now and see this marvelous sight, which why this bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now behold the cry of the sons of Israel, has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the affliction with which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. I pray today that you would speak to us by your word, and that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, that you would anoint the hearing of his congregation, that they may hear the word. And grow from it. We pray in Jesus name the church said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. This morning we look at the famous encounter of Moses with God. The Bible tells us that Moses was at the ripe young age of 80 when he has this encounter with God. He was a man who had been raised in the great universities of Egypt. He had studied law no doubt, no doubt architecture under the greatest of professors. For 40 years he lived as a prince in the palaces of Pharaoh. Then in a moment of haste and anger, he committed a homicide and was forced to leave Egypt and to run for his life. He had tried to do the will of God in the power of the flesh, and it had resulted in failure, which is the inevitable conclusion. Anytime time that you and I try to do the will of God in the power of our own right arm, we will find utter failure. Success will not come by the will of man. It must come by the will of God. So Moses leaves as a fugitive from the law and he runs into the wilderness and there he finds a family. He marries a daughter of Jethro and he becomes a shepherd. And He goes into a 40-year period of time where he is in isolation and he is forgotten by all but God, it would seem. He goes into what some scholars call the University of the Wilderness. Any of you ever been in the University of the Wilderness? The Wilderness University doesn't have any classrooms or lecture halls. It doesn't have any professors. It is the School of Hard Knocks. The School of Experience. The University of the Wilderness is that lecture hall of disappointment. A place where life throws at you trouble and trial in order to train you. And let me tell you, friends, that it is in this university of the wilderness that God most shapes our hearts. It is where God mends and, and molds the heart of his, of his servant, the heart of his children to make them that person that he desires them to be. And so if you're in the University of the Wilderness this morning, let me just tell you, hold on, don't quit, don't give up, don't throw in the towel. You're going to graduate sooner or later. Learn your lessons. Do your homework. And watch God. Suddenly and unexpectedly, 40 years later, he's now an 80-year-old man and he finds himself on the side of Mount Oreb, which the Bible would later call the mountain of God. He finds himself in that location perhaps because it had green pastures and he needed a place to take his flock. We're not altogether sure, but something drew him to that place. And while he is there, God had an appointment with Moses that Moses did not know about. God was on an encounter mission with a man that all had forgotten. And he meets Moses in an extraordinary way. God wants to meet with you, and I know that there are times when he has met with you in unexpected moments. Maybe he kind of elbowed you at night and told you, wake up, I want to talk. Maybe you were driving and on the highway and you just suddenly sense the presence of God and the need to talk to him and the, the need, the urgency of prayer. God finds a way to get across to us, to, to speak to our heart, and I'm grateful that he does because I have discovered that in the lowest moments of my life, in the in the hours where I felt like God was the most distant, I have found him to be the most near, that he is the God who takes the initiative and comes after me. Aren't you glad today that God takes the initiative and He comes after you? When you did not even know where to find Him, He comes after you. Some of you are in church this morning, like Moses, you've come to the mountain of God and you don't even really know why. You don't don't exactly know what it is that God has intended for you this morning. But I want to tell you that God wants to meet with you. Why would God want to meet with you? He wants to meet with you because He loves you. He wants to meet with you because He cares for you. You are His child, the object of His affection. And Moses is out there minding his own business and suddenly he sees a sight that he had seen perhaps before, but this was an unusual thing. He sees a bush on fire. Now, the sight itself was not unusual since the burning bushes were a common occurrence in a hot wilderness a desert with dried up bushes. This was not an uncommon thing to see a burning bush. I don't know if you've ever seen any burning hay bales in South Texas. Every once in a while, if it gets hot enough, a hay bale will just burst into flames. I saw a field this way once, about seven or eight round bales just Burning up. Nothing set to them, no spark, no match. Just a chemical combustion. This is what Moses saw, but this was an unusual sight because the the bush that he saw was burning, but it was not being consumed. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you read the scriptures because in them you believe you will find eternal life. He said, but it is these these scriptures that bear witness about me. And I want you to look with me at this chapter and see how the third chapter of Exodus bears witness of Christ. For you see, this bush was an uncommon experience. It was an uncommon uh, occurrence because Moses saw a bush that was burning but was not being burned up. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being destroyed. The first thing we notice about this bush, scholars tell us that most likely this was a thorn bush. And if you've ever looked at a thorn bush, you'll realize that thorn bushes don't give any fruit serve no practical purpose in the world. In fact, the thorn bush is actually a, a symbol of the curse of, of the fall of man. When, man and, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, the Bible said that God cursed the earth, and He said thorns and thistles will grow upon the earth. That's why when you leave a piece of land uncultivated for some time, what grows there? Thorns. We live out here in brush country and it doesn't take too long for a, a, an acre of land to be covered over in brush and thorns. This is the natural way of a cursed world. Friends, you and I live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is under the curse and 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 the, the plague of sin and iniquity, and that is why Jesus Christ on the cross, the, the Roman soldiers, they wove together a crown of thorns and they placed it upon His head. They thought they were mocking Him. They thought that they were making fun of the Savior, but they didn't realize that they had placed upon Him the very sign and symbol of our curse, the very sign and symbol of our iniquity. Can I remind you this morning that Jesus, when He went to the cross, He carried away the curse of the world. He carried away the curse of sin. Somebody ought to get happy about that. This thorn bush, that symbol of the curse, that perfect type of man. Man without God is a thorn bush, can't bear any fruit. Has no, has no purpose in, div, in the divine order. Man without God is that thorn bush that is absolutely alone and useless. But this thorn bush had a special experience because the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came upon it. When you see that reference to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's always a reference to the person of Jesus Christ prior to the incarnation. We saw a couple of weeks ago how Jesus entered time in order to visit with, uh, with, with Abraham in the, in the uh, form of Melchizedek. Now, once again, Jesus enters time ahead of schedule and he comes to visit with Moses at Mount Oreb, the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, appears to Moses in Exodus. In this glorious burning bush, we see that beautiful picture of Christ, uh, the thorn bush, the humanity of Christ, uh, and yet that that fire, the, di- the deity and divinity of Christ. Do you know, friend, that Jesus is 100% man? He is just as much man and, and, and human as you and I are, and He is 100% God. Fully God and fully man manifested there in that thorn bush. The son of God comes to visit with, with, uh, with Moses to, to make him a, a, an offer that he cannot refuse to call him into the ministry. That thorn bush all of a sudden received a whole new life. Moses saw it in the form of fire, but what we saw was divine life on a thorn bush. Can I tell you, friend, that you and I need divine life. You and I need the life of God in our life. The only way that a thorn bush can be profitable in this world is when God comes on it. The only way that a man or woman can be changed is when God comes on him. The only way that your life can be different and be, uh, be broken from the curse of the law and the curse of sin is for God to come upon your life. You see, you don't just need to hang around God. You need God to invade your life. And when this invasion takes place, there is a complete and total transformation of your life. If there are any transformed people in here, I want you to say amen. Amen. Okay, I, I'm going to ask that question again. Are there any transformed people in here? Say amen. amen. You know what it's like when the life of God comes into your life, that old thorn bush starts burning. And now it is a messenger of God. A messenger of God's power. A witness of God's grace. Can I tell you, friend, that God is still manifesting His power in the lives of believers if they will yield to Him. God is still setting men and women on fire and making them messengers of His grace. Any burning bushes in here? Peter was a foot-in-the-mouth fisherman. Never could say anything without offending or isolating, and yet when the life of God comes on him on the day of Pentecost, he receives that powerful invasion of the Spirit of God, and he started preaching, and that boy could preach. All of a sudden, the backwards fishermen started preaching with such power. 3,000 people were converted on that day because the life of God came on the man. You know what America needs today? America needs a church on fire. America needs believers who have the life of God on the inside of them. The only hope for our nation is a revival in the church. The only hope for our nation, it's not the Republicans, it's not Donald Trump, it's not the Democrats either. The hope for America, the hope for revival and renewal of our land is a church on fire that says this is the way, walk in it. Simple thorn bushes set ablaze for God. And really all God is looking for is a place, an altar upon which his fire can fall. Well, you know how I feel about it. God, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it at Kingsway Church. If you're going to burn somewhere, you might as well burn here. If you're gonna invade anybody, you might as well invade us. If you're gonna send revival, it might as well be here because we have set an altar before you, oh God. Come, oh God of Elijah, hear our cry, send the fire. It's the fire that we need, that fire of Pentecost, that fire of power, that fire of revival. Oh God, if you're gonna do it anywhere, you might as well do it right here. Anybody have that attitude this morning? I have a pass-me-not spirit. Pass-me-not. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it right here. I don't know, that thorn bush didn't have much personality, I'm sure. But it was a ready vessel for God. God is not looking for scholars. He's not looking for those who are highly educated. He's not looking for those who have all their ducks in a row. He's looking for a mere thorn bush that will say, God, if you're going to use anybody, use me. If you're going to answer anybody's prayers, you might as well answer mine. If you're going to touch somebody, touch them through me. Do this work in my life and through my life. I wish I had a witness in the house of God this morning. Moses said, I've got to see this. And he got a little closer and he heard his name. The burning bush calls out to him, Moses, Moses. You know God knows your name. I don't know all of your names, but God does. He's a personal God. He doesn't know you in relation to who or what church you attend or what city you're from. He knows your name. You may not know him. He knows you. You may be as backslidden and as far from God as you can be this morning, and God knows you, and he brought you to church, and he's calling out to you and saying, Moses, Moses. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Don't you like it when people know your name? I remember when I was an intern in the House of Representatives, the office, we had about seven or eight interns. But I was the only one whose name the majority leader knew. Don't you think I like that? He can count on it. He would walk in and say, hey, how are you? Howdy. Hey, Isaac. Yes, he knows my name. (laughs) God knows your name because he cares about you. Because he has set his seal upon you. He has set his love upon you. And he is going to pursue you until he has accomplished his work in your life. You can run, friend, but you can't hide. Because you can be on the opposite side of the mountain. And he will say, Moses, Moses. Now, if I, if I were Moses and, and a bush spoke to me, I would keep it to myself. But <laughs> Moses knew he was having a special encounter with God. He said, take your shoes off, Moses. Because the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, God demands something of Moses at this moment. He demands an act of submission. He demands an act of humility. When you take your shoes off for somebody, you are saying to them, I honor you. I respect you. If You go into a house where it's a custom to take off your shoes when you walk in, and you take off your shoes, what are you saying? You're saying, I'm submitting to the order of this house. I'm going to do things the way they're done in here. And so, the same thing is, Moses is taking his shoes off. He's taking his sandals off. He's acknowledging, I'm going to honor the God who is speaking to me right now. I'm going to do it His way. You see, friend, that's the key to blessing. How many of you want to be blessed? How many of you want to prosper? How many of you want abundance? Everybody. But, you know what the key is? It's obedience. Doing God's will... God's way that's the key to to, to the blessing of God in your life you wonder sometimes man I'm doing all these things right I have a good job I'm getting paid well but I don't have anything left at the end of of the month I just can't seem to make things work out and you need to look at your life and see where are the areas where you're not taking your shoes off where are the areas where you're not honoring God Where you said, God, I honor you in everything but this. And God is saying, no, I don't want you to honor me in everything, but I want you to honor me in everything. We think God is like lubies. We go in and we say, I don't like that. I want this. I'll take that. Not that. I don't like green jello. But God isn't lubies. He's saying, look, I'm going to form you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to build you. And it's going to require you to submit to my will. It's going to require you to do it my way, to accept my plan for your life. I love the song that we've been singing the last few weeks. I have surrendered to your design. What an extraordinary confession to say, God, I have surrendered to your plan, to your design. I had a a, a house with a three-car garage and a pool, but you designed a different house, and I'm going to surrender to that. I'm going to submit to that. I had had my life planned out, X, Y, Z, but you had it, A, B, C, so I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to yield to your plan, friends. There is no end of blessing that God will give that servant of his, that man or woman that will say, God, I surrender to your design. I surrender to your blueprint, to your plan. God said, that's a man or woman that I can bless. Sometimes his way is different. His plan is different than what we anticipated. But if we will yield to that, What does it mean to yield? It means you give someone else the right of way. When you yield, you're giving God the right of way in your life. We give God the right of way, the right to do what He wills. And when we follow Him, He accomplishes his perfect, perfect will in our life. Moses is about to enter an extraordinary period of his life. He's about to be promoted to being the greatest prophet in the Old Testament passages of Scripture. And yet, he has to first take off his shoes. Can I I just let you in on something? Usually, great things start with small acts of obedience before God asks you to part the Red Sea he's going to have you take your shoes off now if you won't take your shoes off he won't have you have part the Red Sea small acts of obedience and there are some things I know God's been dealing with some of you to do and they are small maybe to you they're big But compared to where God wants to take you, they're small. He's saying, you need to take your shoes off. You need to honor me in this area. You need to put me first. You need to obey my word. You need to honor what I'm telling you about marriage. You need to honor what I'm telling you about courtship. You need to honor what I'm telling you about your money. You need to honor how I tell you about how you speak. You need to honor what I tell you about what you think, the things you watch on television. the things you read on the Internet. He's telling you, you need to honor me in these things, and if you will do the small things If you will honor him in the small things, he says, because you are faithful in the small things, I will put you over much. I hope somebody's listening this morning. Take your shoes off. Because the place where you're standing is holy. I'm a holy God. And I demand holiness from my people. The Bible says, the Lord said, those who honor me, I will honor. Eric Little, who won the uh, the gold medal in the Olympics in the 1930s. If you ever look at the, a picture of Eric Little crossing the, the uh, finish line, he was a missionary to China. He was also very fast. And he... He he represented Scotland and England in the Olympics. But if you ever see that picture of Eric Little, you'll see him crossing the finish line with a piece of paper in his hand. Not too many people run with pieces of paper in their hand, but someone had handed him a piece of paper just before the race, and he, he ran with it. And the reason they had handed him the piece of paper was because when he arrived in in France, in Paris for the Olympics, they told him that his his race, his meet was gonna be or it was gonna be on a Sunday. And he said, I don't run on Sundays. That's the Lord's day. A lot has changed since the nineteen thirties, hasn't it? And a lot has changed. He said, I don't run on Sundays. They took him in to meet with the Prince of Wales, the heir to the throne. They tried to convince him to run on Sunday. He said, I will not run on the Lord's day. And some changes were made, and he, he ran on a different day. And the day that he was going to run, they handed him a piece of paper. He opened it, and it said, those who honor me, I will honor. A quote out of the book of First Samuel. And You can see that picture in, in Eric Little as he crosses gloriously across the finish line. And in his hand is that promise, those who honor me, I will honor. But the quote says, further, those who despise me, I will despise. God is a consuming fire. He demands total surrender. Absolute commitment. But he says, if you honor me, I will honor you. If you put me first... I will make something of you. I will do something great in your life. And so today God is calling out to somebody saying, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off. Put me first. Honor me in everything and and watch what I'll do. Watch me work. Now he gives Moses four words of encouragement that I want you to jot down before we pray. Are you ready? How many of you could use a word of encouragement this morning? Did you have a rough week? Could you use a word of encouragement? Does October seem like it's already been a full month? You ready for a word of encouragement? All right, number one, verse seven. Exodus chapter 3, verse seven. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Tell your neighbor, God sees you. That's good news, isn't it? He said, Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. Our God is not a blind deity. He doesn't have a blindfold over his eyes. He says to you today, I see you. Now, if you are a righteous person, that's good news. If you're unrighteous, that should make you a little uneasy. Why does a thief always look to the right and the left and before and behind, but he never looks up? God says, I see you. But sometimes you and I, we might get into such a dark place. You think, nobody sees me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows my my condition, my affliction. Nobody can understand where I'm at. And God says, I do, I see you. Because even when you are surrounded by the darkest of all darkness, he says, even the darkness is not dark unto me. He is light and he can see you right where you are. My Lord, that's good news this morning. When I thought that nobody saw. God saw. The tears you shed, you thought nobody saw. God saw them and he collected them in a bottle. Those moments of anxiety when you looked around and you said, where is my help? God saw you and he said, I am your help. I am your strength. I am your deliverer. Somebody ought to give God praise. Hagar, that Egyptian I spoke to you about last Sunday night, had been sent out of the camp of Abraham with her little boy. He's crying in the desert of thirst. The angel of the Lord appears to her. And she says, "I see the God that sees me." I have a God that sees me. David said, "The gods of this world have eyes, but they cannot see. And I traveled as a missionary in China. We we went to a Buddhist temple because we were tourists during the day. And we were missionaries by night. And so we climbed this, this mountain to get up to see this, this temple. And uh, we got in there and I did what the apostle did at, at the empty tomb. I just kind of peeked in to see what was going on. And I saw a, a trinity of Buddhas. I didn't know that they had, uh, they had that going on and they had three Buddhas the first one was tall and thin not like the guy you see at the restaurant and, and he was colored he was painted in beautiful colors. The next Buddha was also tall and thin but he hadn't been painted yet. it was just a clay structure. The third one was a a mound of dirt and clay and straw that was going to be formed into this Buddha. And I thought as I peeked in, I said, Man, I'm so glad that I don't have to go around the world preaching a God made out of dirt. I'm glad I get to go around the world preaching a God who has eyes and he can see. The psalmist said the gods of this world have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have a throat, but they cannot utter a sound. They have hands and arms, but they cannot embrace you. But our God is in the heavens. He has eyes, and He can see. He has arms, and He can embrace you. He is your perfect and and all-sufficient help in the time of trouble. He says, I see you. And not only that, but further, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed. In other words, I have heard their cry. Tell your neighbor, God hears you. That's good news. I have a God who can see, but I also have a God who can hear. He hears the prayers of his church. You know there's only one prayer God doesn't hear. That's the prayer you don't pray. But God will hear your prayers. He is attentive to the cry of his church. He he has not ignored the cry of his people, but rather he hears us. He understands our need, our affliction, but he can hear our prayer. When we call out to him, he is ready to answer. He is ready to be at our side. He says, I have heard the cry of my people. Are you a praying Christian? God hears you. Sometimes God hears me when I'm not even officially praying. Ever happened to you? Sometimes I'm praying because I like to pray all the time. And, you know, just throughout my day I'm talking to God, but I don't always, I'm not always officially praying. Like, Lord, I come before you, and I'm just talking. And he hears me, and I I think, that's weird. He just, he just answered a, a, a thought, a, 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 a notion of what I wanted to pray about, but I didn't even actually do it officially. I just talked to him, and he heard me. That's the kind of God that we have. He is a personal God, and he hears our prayers. And guess what? You can hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Any sheep in here? He didn't say anything about the goats, but he said, my sheep, hear my voice. Third encouragement. I have heard the cry of my people, for I am aware of their sufferings. Tell your neighbor, God knows. God sees... God hears, God knows. There's a lot we don't know, a lot we don't understand, a lot we can't grasp, but God knows. And sometimes, friend, the only comfort you have in a moment when you don't understand is knowing that God knows. Sometimes that's all the understanding, all the the peace you know and have is just to know that God knows. But let me tell you, friend, there's so much peace in that. Just the fact that God cares and that he knows, that he understands. Can I tell you today God knows? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the mountain you're up against, and I don't know the valley you might have fallen into. I don't know the ruts in your life. I don't know the sin that's persecuting your soul. But I know this, God knows. And he cares. And if all that of all that you can know is that he knows, trust him. Sometimes you cannot see God's hand, but you must trust His heart and know that He knows and that He is aware that He is gonna that He is going to be aware of the matter. But then He gives us a fourth encouragement, and this is the best. He says in verse eight, "I have come down." Not only does he just see and hear and know, but he has come near. He knows, but he has also come down to deliver. It's one thing to know. But it's an altogether different thing to come in and do something about it. I might know that you are in need but if I can't help you out of your need this there's, there's not a whole lot my knowing can do but God not only knows, but he comes down. He enters into time, and he interferes and intervenes in our lives. How does he know? How did he come down? The Bible said the Word became flesh. The Son of God, the Second Person of the Godhead, descended from heaven and became a man. He came down so that he could know the feeling of our infirmity, so that he could walk in our in our uh, in, in our flesh and in our in our body and understand what it's like, Jesus knows because he came, God became a man and he died on the cross he suffered death in our place he knows our savior knows what it's like to weep at the grave of a loved one because he did it Our Savior knows what it's like to go and to have to pay taxes because he did it. Our Savior knows what it's like to have to buy groceries because he did it. Our Savior knows what it's like to be rejected by your friends because he endured that. Our Savior knows what it's like to die because he died. And our Savior also knows what it's like to come back from the dead because he is alive today to the glory of God the Father. He knows because he came down. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. He bridged the gap. He solved the crisis of separation and he, he united my me to him and you to himself. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Who says, I have come down to deliver you. And today... In the month of October 2015, he says to you, I see, I hear, I know, and I am going to do something because I am your God. I am on your side. And if I be for you, then who can be against you? What an encouragement for the soul of the broken for the the heart of the afflicted, for the mind of the troubled, that there is a God who is ready and available, the ever-present help in the time of our need. And He comes near to us and says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And this morning, I want to encourage you with these words and tell you you're not alone. I don't care how dark that spot is you find yourself in, you're not alone. God is there. He is present. He is available. He says, call upon me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. i close with the story of a little boy. An armed assailant broke into their home. In the crash, he And the noise he managed to hide in the closet. And he heard the murder of his mother and father. He fell into the hands of the foster system. And landed in the home of a Christian family. He had no Christian background whatsoever. Never been to Sunday school or VBS in his life. He came into the home of this new family and they had a artist rendering of Jesus on the wall. He said, what's his name? They said, well, that's Jesus. He said, I know him. He said, how do you know him? He said because the night that my parents were killed he came and sat with me in the closet. He told me not to be afraid. Can I tell you friend that that's the tenderness of our Savior. He cares for you. So much that he died that you might have life today he says Moses, Moses he calls out to you personally he said let me take you in my arms let me handle this throw your cares, just thrust them on him he says cast your cares upon me it has the the impression of, of a thrust to take something heavy and to cast it over Today he says take that burden you bear And just throw it over on me I'm big enough My shoulders are big and broad And I will hold it And I will carry it for you And I will be your help in the time of trouble Today if you hear his voice You say yes to him He'll not only be your help But he'll be your savior Because friend The greatest need of your life is a savior The greatest need of your heart is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. That's the first thing you have to do in order to get things right with God, is confess your sin to Him. The Bible says that if you will confess your sin to God, that He is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Maybe you walked into church this morning with a guilty conscience, a track record record, of sin today you can be free today your conscience can be clean in the presence of the almighty God would you stand I'm going to ask the church to bow in prayer no one moving around please this is a holy moment just bow your heads in prayer I want to make two invitations first of all if you would say pastor I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know about Him, but I don't know Him personally. I've never given Him my life. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. Today, if you hear His voice, say yes to Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who would say yes to Christ today, I pray that you would bring conviction on their heart. If they are outside of Christ, convict them of sin and of wrath and judgment. Convince them of the love of God for their soul. I pray that mercy and grace would be extended to them in this moment. They would not say no once more, but they would say yes and yield their whole life to Christ. I pray this.